Welcome to the Hot Lava Podcast. It is good to be back on San Diego soil. Kevin AC, the podcast beat writer. Uh, Jay Posner, how are you, my sports editor, my boss? My friend? Not so, not so, not so much, yes. right? I kept waiting. I was waiting for that last part, but it never, it never came. So that's okay. As long as I know where we stand, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. So uh, everything is, everything is good here. Uh, you know, it's, it's always good to have you back in town oh, yeah. and, and not running up the, uh, not running up the expense sheet uh, for at least a few days. And uh, this is a long homestand, Kevin. You're, you're here for like a week and a half, I believe. I'm not sure anyone can handle it. My wife, you, anybody. I'm no, yeah. But hey, speaking oh, of which, uh, Marlins for three, Phillies first place in the National League East for three, and then Nationals. I think what second from last place in the National League East. There's a ten game home stand against uh, teams in the National League East. Uh, two of them stink, but this is baseball. Jay, uh, the Nationals is coming here in sweet. Well, that's coming here in sweet. I know it's hard, and it's it's still hard for me to get my arms around the fact that the Nationals, who throw Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg out every you know twice every series, basically or almost every series, twice every five days, could be so bad. Um, and and yet they're they're twenty four and thirty two right now. I mean, we'll see what they are when they when they get here. The Marlins, I mean. Two weeks ago, this looked like, oh, wow, get the Marlins here. We can't wait to play the Marlins. They're, they're the worst team that his baseball's ever seen, or at least since last year's Orioles. 19-35 um, and 35 is their record. But they were 10-31, and 31, which means – I'll do the math for you, Kevin. It means they've won nine of their last 13. So they actually come in here as, as one of the hottest teams in baseball over the last two weeks – yeah, they swept the Mets and Tigers, who aren't very good. Uh, they just won two out of three against the Giants, who aren't very good. But they are playing. Uh, they are playing better, and the Padres will see their best pitcher tonight, Caleb Smith, um, who has a WHIP under one. He's the he's actually the team WAR leader. Uh, his ERA is three point oh five. He strikes out eleven and a half guys every nine innings. I mean, this will be a challenge. Uh, you know, everybody's like, "Oh, who's Caleb Smith?" But Caleb Smith's a good pitcher. Jose Urena, Trevor Richards are kind of hit and miss. They've been okay. Both have ERAs around four. Um, one thing the Marlins have done, I noticed, is give up a lot of home runs. Um, more than, I think, just about any other team. Third, third most home runs in the National League. 66 homers in 54 games. So maybe the Padres can uh, get, you know, we've seen the Padres get hot in terms of home runs, uh, especially in Toronto last week uh bullpen not so good for miami so we'll see what happens when the starters get out of the games although sergio romo who seems like he's as as old as i am uh is is in the pen and he's i think 11 out of 12 in saves so he's always one of those guys you think boy we should be able to hit sergio romo and it was he throw like 84 or something um but throw some sliders and uh you know We'll see what happens, but I, I don't think anybody can ever take anything for granted in this game, as we've as we've seen. Well, no, that's the thing, and so the idea that this ten game homestand is is like a, a measuring stick or or defining or something like that, I think it's preposterous. But there is like some merit to the thought of, look, the Marlins are going to come back to earth. They are. That's just what happens. I mean, good team or bad teams, uh, almost all bad teams 
will have a run of or course. two during the season. Look at what the Padres did last year. Yeah. If you come back to earth, it's like a, a basketball team that you know was down by 17 and they made it all up, but then they're gassed, right? right. And you, you know, so and the Marlins' offense. Come- the Marlins' offense is awful. I mean, I, I should I should point this out. They are last in the league in runs, doubles, triples, homers, walks, slugging, OPS, total bases, and they're all the way up to 14th in the league in batting average and on-base percentage. This is a terrible offense, 167 runs, which means they're averaging barely over three per game. So this this is the kind of team the Padres right. should be able to shut down. But, it, you know, I think we said this, and especially fans said this before, the Pirates series, and the Pirates mm-hmm. won three out of four here. Now, the, yeah, the, 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 I think the Pirates are a better team, but uh, the, the point is the, the same. And so it's do they come back to earth now and right. yes you know what the Padres should bring them back to earth now by winning two of three that just goes without saying but to make it any more important than that um I mean every World Series team I think the Red Sox were swept by the Tigers or something in August last year um and you know the Padres are not the 108 win Red Sox but I do think that it is an interesting series because I do keep kind of waiting for this Padres team to either falter or to sort of like win seven out of ten on this one or something like that, and you go, okay, well, that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, it will be interesting, obviously, not to get ahead of the Marlins, because, I mean, we want to make sure we savor every bit of this three days. Absolutely. Um, but Bryce Harper and the Phillies, that'll be interesting. Oh, no, yeah, no question. And, and I mean, the Phillies are, are vastly improved uh, this year over a team that was already, you know, that, that wasn't terrible. Um, no. And then, like I said, with the Marlins, or with the Nationals, I haven't looked ahead to see the – Pitching matchups and and whether Scherzer and or Strasburg will be throwing here, but you would figure one of at least one of them is if it's a four game series, uh, you're not going to be able to miss both of them. Uh, so again, I, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves and and then the the Padres after that go out. What do we have? San Francisco for two on the road and Colorado for four. Uh, the Rockies playing much better at this point as as at least I expected. Uh, they're finally over 500. Right for uh, for the season. That's a scary notion when you see that. Hey, they're over five hundred. I guess since what they were like one and zero, or was it two and one? Something, something like that. I mean, I know they were um, they were three and twelve, and they're twenty five and fifteen. Right since uh, since that. I mean that uh, even with Charlie Blackman out now. I mean that's still a uh, that's still a good team. But uh, anyway, the Marlins this weekend, and let's go back to um, yeah. Yankee Stadium a little bit on. The two games that we didn't talk about since uh, our last podcast um, start with the second one. Chris Paddock off to a, a rocky start uh, and looked good at times. I mean, there there were times. I mean, he was he threw some fastballs, just blew some guys away. Changeups, guys were waving at. But the Yankees clearly had a plan, and and that plan mm-hmm. involved you know jumping on bad pitches mainly. And and Paddock <laughs> threw threw two bad pitches to start. The outing, I mean, that 0-2 changeup to LeMahieu to start the game was just awful. Um, but, you know, that happens. You're going to throw bad pitches, and then the idea is hope the other team doesn't take advantage. The Yankees didn't miss too many of those bad pitches. What was Paddock like after the game in terms of, you know, he, he hadn't had an outing like that other than maybe the Dodger game, um, you know, a few weeks ago. But what, what did you take from Paddock's performance and, and especially what he was like in the clubhouse afterward? Well, this is maybe something only a sports writer, a beat writer could appreciate, but he's, he's growing into, you know, being able to deal with a loss. And that's not to say he was bad after the, the Dodgers loss, but he clearly had rocked him 
the the time against the Dodgers mm-hmm. where they had sort of just like grinded him to a, you know to a pulp basically. Right. Uh, right. And and this one, it was like he had had time to assess it already. He knew my stuff wasn't good. I should have mixed differently. I threw you know some bad pitches, some ill-advised pitches. Okay, this is what I. This is a good team. Um, and and like all of the the good players he believes he beat himself and that's fine um because the yankees beat him but you know what like you said he threw some bad pitches i thought uh, that he that he handled himself very well mm-hmm. and why does that matter it's just like it speaks to this mentality that that a guy uh, has to have it's like are you going to be a baby about it or, or you know and, and a lot of times how you treat the media or how you're acting in the clubhouse afterward really doesn't have anything to do with what you do on the field a guy like chris paddock it kind of does because it's like it's like the whole package and that's what makes chris paddock uh, what we all think or what many of us think chris paddock is going to be and what he has been so i thought you know hey look you know the thing about the yankees is all the guys they're missing is like, wow, that could be so much more of a dangerous team. But, like, Clint Frazier, that's a good player. He's not right. like seventh. I mean, they just keep rolling guys out there. You know, DJ LeMahieu. You know, I mean, obviously that's a, that's a good player. But it's like, there's no superstar maybe in their lineup right now. But it's like, not only any slouches either. No, I mean, I mean Luke Voigt's got, <laughs> uh, what, 14 or 15 home runs. And, and Sanchez has more than that. And, uh, no, I mean, there's there's no real... Uh, no real slouches there at all, and and now Paddock, you know, he'll come back and he misses the Marlins. And one thing I thought that was that was really interesting, we talked about this in the office the other day, and and uh, the idea that the the when the Padres didn't throw Paddock in Toronto, you know, they had a choice. They could have pitched him in Toronto. He said he was okay. Could have faced a lineup that wasn't terribly good when he was, you know, maybe not quite a hundred percent. So they took it easy. And then when they pushed him back, they pushed him back to Wednesday. To me, that meant they could have pushed him back to Friday if they really wanted to. They could have, sure. you know, Joey Lucchese would have been ready to go on Wednesday, could have thrown Lucchese Wednesday and said, well, let's give Paddock another day or two and let's let him throw against the Marlins. And I thought it was a, a great idea by, you know, Andy Green, Darren Balsley. Well, Balsley wasn't even there, but, you know, Andy Green and his staff and, and the, the front Probably. office and whoever else is mm-hmm. involved in, in these decisions to say, you know what, let's throw Chris Paddock at Yankee Stadium. Um and and let's see how he handles it, and let's let's put him out there against one of the best teams in baseball. And it, it, at this point, we know that if we put him against the Marlins, yeah, he'll probably dominate. But let's see if he dominates the Mar the Yankees, and and if he doesn't, let's see how he handles it. And I I thought that was one of those things where you know if you're trying to win every single game, uh, yeah. maybe you wait on Paddock. Uh, maybe you don't. I mean, he's also your you know he's been your best pitcher, so you want to throw him against right. a good team. But it it would have been easy to say let's take it easy on this kid and throw him against the Marlins. And I I, I thought that was a a good move to put him out there against the Yankees, and and let's 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 see him pitch against that team and that stadium and that environment, and and see what happens. So I I thought that was good. And now that leads me to the next thing that also puts him against the Phillies. Um, for his next start, and I think if he had pitched Friday, in fact, I know this, if he had pitched Friday against the Marlins today, his next start would have come against the Nationals. So instead of facing Marlins Nationals, he's facing Yankees Phillies. So again, two two better teams, and let's see, you know, let's see how he responds back at home against another really good lineup in Philadelphia. And now we have to hope that he lines up, and I believe, believe me, uh, he's already done the, the math. I'm, I'm sure of it. Uh, now we have to hope he lines up against the Marlins in Miami. 
<laughs> because honestly, I'll guarantee you he was disappointed. As much as he was happy to face the Yankees, he really was. Uh, he wants to face the Marlins. I just had to say that. Okay. Um, well, that's a way. That's, <laughs> that's that's not till after the All Star break, and uh, and actually, if we figure looking at the schedule here, if we figure that they're going to give him an extended break um, around the All Star mm-hmm. break, they have they come out of the break, play three games against the Braves at home, and then go on the road and play the Marlins. So as long as they don't. Uh, use him in that. Uh, use him over that weekend against the Braves, which you wouldn't think they would, right? If they're trying to, uh, if they're trying to stretch him out, and at that point you got to Nelson Lamette, right? Uh, who, who knows who else? Um, so I would think that that is a place that they are going to both before and after the break, uh, or at least one of those. Uh, give Chris Paddock some extra time, right? And uh, and yes, yeah. and then having him face the Marlins in Miami would would seem to be a good. Uh, a good place for him to to pitch, given his uh, given his history. Although I can't imagine there's anybody there who says, "Yeah, well, you know what? We really did make a great trade, uh, getting half a season of Fernando Rodney for uh, for Chris Paddock." But uh, none of that matters to Chris Paddock. No, I'm sure. That's <laughs> I bring it up because Chris Paddock will be fired up. Right, tomorrow. right. That's all that matters. Yeah, no, that'll be uh, that, that's something I, I that'll be fun. To, uh, uh, that'll be fun to watch. But anyway, and then the other game, the other game, the one the Padres won in New York, which yeah. was kind of a weird, a weird game, and and they scored, they scored four runs in the first inning, and and of course my immediate thought was, and I think I even texted you this. I said, I'll bet the Padres end up with no more than five runs in this game. It's like we've seen that before. They get off to you know if they have a quick start, it just kind of dies off, and and sure enough, they scored five runs. The question was whether it would be enough to win. And somehow, some way, in the in the rain and everything. And how hard was it raining, by the way? Uh, Pretty hard, and then harder. Okay, because um, it, it looked bad on it, it looked bad yeah. on TV. It, it always looks worse on TV. Uh, but but uh, it, it seemed. Were you surprised that they didn't take him off the field at some point, or were they just so desperate? Because it seemed like they could have just brought him off the field, and even if they had to call it, come back at noon on noon the next day and just and just finish it up then but what, what, the what were your thoughts going this. going on during that game the one thing was this and andy green who has never been shy to say that you know hey for the health of the players whatever afterward and the afterward he was fine with how it was handled and i'll say that you could tell that joe west was on top of it and the field never looked bad now the grass was giving up a lot of water but in terms of the the footing and and, and all that and uh, you know, obviously they do a great job at these ballparks, and especially on the East Coast where they have to take in these thunderstorms. Right. Um, the field never looked bad. There were some times where I'm like, eh, you know, up on the ball and, and, and mm-hmm. then some balls that went through the grass. But I'll tell you what, the field never looked bad, so I actually wasn't surprised they didn't call it. But it was about as hard as you were going to see it, um, and it was during crucial points in the game, and I know we want to talk about well, that was uh, the, the right. crazy seven. And that was the thing where the, all those pitchers, you know, having to pitch with the wet – with the wet baseballs, did did any of them say any? Did you get a sense yes. that they they were like, "Hey, why are we pitching in this garbage?" Not the guys who actually went through there and you know like walked a guy and then were taken out. Mm-hmm. Robbie Earl and Phil Mason, what? Um, but the other guys, uh, uh, some guys who didn't pitch were like, "That that's pretty rough to come in." First off, you're coming in those situations; those are rough to come in in the rain. Though, yes, they did. And what about the way that that inning was uh, yeah. was was handled? I mean, I I didn't think anything of it. I mean, I, I I always look at it that you know some guy somebody on Twitter said, well, why did they take out Wick? And and I it, which made me laugh because most of the time people on Twitter are like, why is Wick even in the game? 
Um, and the same is for true for a lot of those guys. And it, it just felt like Andy was just trying to find somebody that could throw a few strikes and, and, and maybe get an out. And, cool. and I also said to, to someone that, you know, we don't know what the matchups look like. And matchup. you, you and I have talked about this before where maybe Brad Wick matches up, like he pitched against a right-handed batter. I think he even got him out. And then he mm-hmm. came out when another right-handed batter was coming up. But what we don't know is how does what Brad Wick throws and where he throws it match up with how this next hitter hits and what he likes to see. And maybe it's better to have, you know, I think it was Maton who came in to pitch to that guy. Maybe Maton matches up better with that. And that's the information that we don't have and, and people don't have when you're sort of making judgments uh, on whether to leave a pitcher in or out in that situation and I always figure that they have more information than we do and you know it's not it's not like any of those guys that are out there are trust really trustworthy all the time you know Wick Maton Erlen I don't even remember who else was uh was was in there and everything but those guys none of those guys outside of Kirby Yates and sometimes Craig Stammen are the guys that you can put out there and say and I you know, okay, this guy's a lockdown guy. We're going to leave him in there no matter what. I assume Wingenter, they didn't want to go back to back. There it is, right there. Okay, so it was, it was, it was Wick, Erlen, Maton, Stammen, and I still think Stammen. It's been rough. It's been, a, it's been mostly a rough month, but but Stammen still has to be right below Yates in terms of who you want to go to. And, mm-hmm. and Andy Green didn't want to go to Stammen because he still had the eighth inning. Right. He had to wonder, are the umpires going to call this thing? And I can't if I put Stammen up. You know what? What do I got in the eighth inning? Uh, so, but Wingenter just coming back from the shoulder, and this is evidently no longer a factor. They wanted to give him this week, but okay. Wingenter who was on the IL for the, the shoulder. They weren't going to pitch him back to back, so you didn't have him. Matchups is absolutely what it was about. And then you throw in the Wick and was it Wick and Erlen the walks, right? So you know, I don't know exactly what the matchups were, or if Andy would have stuck with another guy, but like. I didn't. I, I knew exactly why he was doing what he was doing. Maybe not all of the factors, but I. Gosh, the rest of us have this book, right? We got righty lefty. We can maybe go a little deeper and then look at the splits right. and, and all that. We don't pay. We aren't paying attention to so many factors. How a guy hits this type of pitch in this type of play right. with this type of spin. With <laughs> well, uh, plus, we don't know the health of play of the pitchers. And I always, I'm, I'm. I'm forever amazed and I shouldn't be at the idea and this isn't just with the Padres and Andy Green but it's with most teams in most sports and I mean I I saw I saw Warriors fans last night being you know criticizing Steve Kerr calling him a moron he can't coach I mean it, it's like there's just no escaping this you know I mean you can win all the titles in the world and and there's just this idea that coaches and managers have no idea what they're doing um and but they're they're the ones that are it's always the manager and the coach who's to blame and and fans never want to blame players or almost never want to blame players unless they're named Ian Kinsler that why is it not the pitcher's fault because he can't throw a strike and and if the pitcher would throw a strike he'd probably stay in the game and i i think that was that's what always gets me and it's why i should stay off twitter more than i have been able to recently um because I, I, I just will never understand the fan mentality. It's like fans will blame players when it comes to salaries. that sal- They make too much money. It's never that the owners make too much money or that the owners sign the contracts. They'll always take the owner's side there. But then on the other side of it, they'll always take the player's side when it comes to uh, 
you know, when it comes to whether it's the coach's fault or the player's fault. So anyway, that's, that's my, my I don't, that's why I don't get it rant for the day, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure you'll straighten me out on this, Kevin. No, one of my favorite parts of the podcast is how often something can feed into one of your, you know, one of your things, Jay. And I, I, I love it. Um, <laughs> The other thing about this bullpen, and I've written a little bit about it, and I probably should go deeper. I've got a lot of stuff on it. Is I mean, I've written about it several times. You know, Robert Stock was huge last year, and he can't throw a strike this year. Uh, Jose Castillo was big in high leverage situations, and he's he's out. Um, you know, at the end of the year, Miguel Diaz was striking people out left and right. He's down in Double A rehabbing. Trey Wingenter has been hurt. Um, there's a reason that Craig Stammen makes what he does and Kirby Yates makes what he does. Bullpens are made up of two or three guys and then two or three, you know, uh, high leverage mm-hmm. pitchers and then a bunch of guys. That's right. what a bullpen is. Well, the Padres bullpen is mostly guys now. And sometimes those <laughs> guys, as you put it, have to pitch in higher leverage situations than anybody want, than anybody would figure exactly. to be ideal. And that's when Brand you have wish. to hope that they, that they step mm-hmm. up. But it, to me, it's like it, there weren't, there's just not a lot of options. And to say it should have been Wick or it should have been Maton or these guys should have had this sort of, you know, I, I don't think those guys have proven that they should be counted, that they can always be counted on uh, in those situations. It, it, that's exactly it. The, whole, the difference between like a guy and Kirby Yates, it's just monumental. It is, and it shows up in the seventh inning or the eighth inning at New Yankee Stadium with a one-run lead. That's, that's what it is. I mean, Kirby, and by the Kirby way, Yates has been amazing. I mean, he's had, what, two outings, I think, where he's the two outings against the Dodgers? Um where he, you know, where he gave up the runs uh, in the in the late innings, but you know the idea that every single time he's had to protect a lead, he's protected a lead. He's not, you know, there's going to come a time where he doesn't protect a lead. I don't think Kirby Yates is going to go 52 for 52 in saves or something. I mean, it'd be great to see, um, but it's kind of hard to believe that anybody's going to do that. I mean, Mariano Rivera didn't save every game, and I'm sure when Rivera gave up a run, people said, "Oh man, what was that guy doing in the game?" Joe Torre's an idiot. So. It is. Uh, it is pretty fascinating, and <laughs> the life that they lead these relievers too. Like, uh, think about Craig Stammen right now, thirty-five years old, right? Yeah, been doing it for so long. And by the way, came in and pitched a perfect gate there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right athlete. after you're right after they got the hit off the, that kind of twelve hopper, uh, uh, that, mm-hmm. that single up the middle, he shut him down and and did put him in position where Yates could come in and save the game. And, but he's got every single time he goes through this. He has a thought in the back of his mind, will I ever get somebody out again? <laughs> That's what these relievers live with. He's yeah. the best. No, it's fascinating. Uh, it's, it's, cra- it's crazy. So, but it's, I mean, I, that's one of the things I love about the game is, you know, you don't know who's coming in uh, and, and going to step up in a situation or, or get a big hit or, or anything like that. I mean, you know, Greg Garcia could have a game where he gets a bunch of hits and then the next game, you know, he, he, he takes, a, he takes three straight strikes in a, in a key situation, um, well, you know, it just, it just, it just happens. I mean, that's this game. And they, those guys always talk about, it, it's a game of failure and you know, Twitter and social media and fans in general and media, a lot of media in general media? are not made to deal with the fact that these guys are going to fail most of the time. No, it's, it's that sport. And, and I'm right. Hosmer that, uh, later today, it's about that and his ability to deal with failure of which, had many last year and, and at the start of this year, and and how important that is to for the younger players to see because this game 
just churns you up. Right. Um, what, like one more thing on this, and this is the beauty of the game. We've spent 10 minutes or more talking about uh, a sequence uh, of, of seven batters in the seventh inning of a game three days ago. <laughs> it's beautiful that we could do that. You and I could probably continue to talk about it. Well, not for the first time. I remember seeing all the comments, and by the way, it was going through my head on Saturday in Toronto, the lineup the Padres threw out. Right? I remember that. Yep. What an okay. awful lineup that was that day. And it was, now, this was not the first time this has happened. Of course, it was the first time they scored 19 runs right. uh, that it has happened, because uh, I think that was tied for the second most runs in um, Padres history. But it was, this is a disaster. Blah, blah. Okay. Now, I'm not blaming anybody for saying that. I guess what sort of crushes is that we don't learn from it because (laughs) it happens a lot because the Padres haven't put out a very good lineup for a lot of years and every once in a while when putting out those very bad lineups uh, they score 10 runs and they beat Max Scherzer well I just thought that was hilarious on Saturday because that was without front Neil Reyes um, and that was Whitney and Kinsler and Greg Garcia was leading off and by the way Greg Garcia is just a fantastic pickup for these guys mm-hmm. uh, but probably shouldn't be you know starting all their games and won't here in a while right. uh, but that we do, what happens is the very next day when the lineup is like that there is oh this this going to stink and they're going to lose and <laughs> I, I, <laughs> it makes me just chuckle it also kills me just a little bit at a time all right. Well, I think we should. I think we should leave it at there, because that's a perfect way to uh, to end it. And uh, we will uh, we will see you out at the ballpark this weekend. Remember, everyone, if you've hung around this long, uh, Sunday's game starts at three o'clock, two hours later than usual, because the marathon is here. And uh, and then we will be back on the podcast on Monday morning to talk about this, what happened against the Marlins and what's coming up against the Phillies. Mm, the Phillies, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado. Thanks, everybody.